so long. I'm glad that you got a break, but I'm going to ask you to stand one more time as we read John 3:16. 
I'm sure glad that you're here today, and um, Easter is quickly becoming uh, a very special day for me, and uh, I'm so thankful. Uh, You know, my favorite holiday over the years has always been Thanksgiving, but Easter's coming a close second, and uh, I'm so thankful the last couple of years, uh, God has done just some wonderful work in my life, but also in this church's life uh, on Easter and uh, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And, and to be honest, I've been praying for every one of you this week and all of you for weeks. And uh, the reason you say, well, how do you know that? Because I didn't know who was going to be here today, but God knew. And I've been praying that God would speak to every one of our hearts. And uh, this is a verse that the group just happens to be happened to sing about. And uh, I didn't know that they were going to sing this song. They came up from the college to help us. And uh, they've been a blessing. They were a sincere blessing this morning. Wouldn't you agree? And, um, and last night when I was, uh, they were asking pastor, which song do you want us to sing before you preach? They sang the first song and I said, good night. It's about the blood of Christ. How can you not want that song? And, uh, and I said, well, you know, what's the other song? And they sang this one. And I just wept because they had no idea what I was preaching and I had no idea what they were singing, but God knew. And so I, I know that you're not here by accident. And if you think that you just came by your own decision, I want you to know God brought you here today. And I I, I want to be a blessing to you, but the blessing's not going to be from me. It's going to be from the Lord. And so as I read the word of God, I pray that you'll follow along as uh, God speaks here this morning. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, I'd like to set the setting here just for a moment. There's a man who is a very religious man. In fact, he's a priest, Pharisee, and he came to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And as he sits down with him, he inquires of the Lord, and the Lord goes right straight to matters of the heart and talks to him about salvation. A religious man who thought he could do a lot of good things in order to gain the favor of God. And Jesus quickly tells him again, you can't have the favor of God unless you're born again. That rattled his cage because for a lot of people, they believe that they certainly can form their future in heaven. And God says, you can't. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so he speaks these words in the middle of the conversation in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let's pray one more time before we start here this morning. Heavenly Father, I do come before you again to surrender myself afresh and anew. Lord, I certainly stand in the place where the arm of the flesh will fail. Because no man's ever pleased you in the flesh. And so I yield myself to you. I ask that you'd please help me to get out of your way. So that you could fill me with your spirit. So that you could use me for the glory and majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. I preach for one today. I ask for all of us that are listening that you would give us understanding. I ask, Lord, that your spirit would open our hearts, that we would hear your still small voice. And God, as you move and as you call, I pray that we would follow and obey. For those that may be here this morning and don't know you personally, God, if they died right now, they're not 100% sure that they'd be in heaven, that they could sing the hymn of heaven. I pray today would be the day of salvation because now is the time. I pray for every Christian today that We would genuinely be humbled at the love of our God. And I pray in all of it that you be glorified and honored. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask all of these things. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. 
In talking with a lot of people over the last several weeks, I've learned that like Christmas, Easter has become all about the lunches and the dinners and the, the barbecues and the families and the eggs even for the little ones. It makes you kind of wonder, how many more generations will it be before children altogether forget Easter and for what it really is all about? I heard a story about a little boy named Philip. Philip was born to a family with Down syndrome. Philip attended a little third grade Sunday school class at his church with several other eight-year-old boys and girls. Typical of that age, however, the children didn't really readily accept Philip with his differences. But because of a creative teacher, they began to care about Philip and accept him as a part of the group, though not fully. On Easter Sunday, the teacher thought she would give an object lesson, and so she brought in some large plastic eggs for an object lesson, each child receiving one uh, one egg, they were told to go outside then and find some symbol of life, then put it in the egg. Back in the classroom, they would share their new life symbols, opening them one by one in surprise fashion. After running about the church property in wild confusion, like eight-year-old boys do, the students returned to the classroom and they placed the containers on the table. Surrounded then by children, the teacher began to open them one by one. And after each one, whether a flower or a butterfly or a leaf, the class, the class would together, ooh, ah, at whatever the kids opened up. Then one was open and it revealed nothing inside. The little children said out loud, that's stupid. Someone said, that's not fair. Somebody didn't do their assignment. Then little Philip spoke up. He said, that's mine. One of the other boys said, Philip, you don't ever do anything right. There's nothing in there. Philip said, I did so. I did so. I did it. It's empty. The tomb is empty. Silence fell over the class. Followed then, uh, from then on, Philip became a full member of the class. He died not long afterward from an infection that most children would have just shrugged off. At the funeral, This class of eight-year-olds marched up to the altar, not with flowers, but with their Sunday school teacher, and each of them laid on it an empty Easter egg, all symbols of new life. Jesus Christ is not dead. He is alive. After his death, some of his disciples went to his tomb, the Bible says, only to discover something amazing. And in Mark chapter 16, it says, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came to the, under the sepulcher at the rising of the sun and said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting at the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. The Bible says, and he saith unto them, be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. From that day until now, believers all over the world have celebrated the anniversary of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ as the day that death lost its sting and the grave lost its victory. This is a true story. This is the true story behind Easter and is given by God for one reason. And I need you to hear me very clearly this morning. If you hear nothing else, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 
and that believing ye might have life through his name, and that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a wonderful message. That's an amazing message of Easter that's been sadly, much like Christmas, commercialized. The commercialization of the day is stolen than the power behind the true meaning of Easter. I'm here this morning to ask you this question. In a culture that's been held hostage by fear, that's been held hostage by anger and social marginalization and moral terrorism, in a world that is dissolving before our very eyes because of the love of money, the love of power, and world dominance, what do you think is going to make the greatest difference? An Easter bunny? Some little candied eggs? Or is it the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ who was dead but rose again? The fact of the matter is the one message that Jesus spoke before his death was all about the reason that he came from heaven in the first place. Why would Jesus come to the cross? Why would he die? Why did he have to raise again from the grave? People would say in a service like this, what's the big deal? I mean, you're getting awful hyper about it. You've been singing about it for the last half hour. What's the big deal? It's a big deal. The fact is, what would God, why would God do that? Why would God, I have five children, why would, why was a father, would I subject my own begotten that I would give for somebody else who I don't even know? Why would I do that? Well, I'll tell you the reason. It was God's love. God's love for one race, the human race. And what his love could do for us all that we could not do for ourselves. In our text, Nicodemus, the priest, approached Jesus and asked about different matters and even recognized that Jesus wasn't a normal man. And yet God circumvented everything that he had to say and went right to the way to your matters. And he said, listen to me, I want you to know, for God so loved the world. Now, you can imagine having a conversation with somebody, could you not? Trying to ask one thing and all of a sudden they answer another. You'd be kind of like, what are you doing? Why? What? You're not even talking about what we're talking about. Why would you say that? Because Jesus, being God, knew exactly what Nicodemus really wanted to know. Nicodemus was hollow inside. He had heard about Jesus. He had watched him. He had heard the rumors. He knew all the details that he needed to know about Jesus Christ being the actual Messiah. And he was that close. Jesus knew it. Jesus is approached by Nicodemus at night because Nicodemus is embarrassed. He doesn't want his fellow Pharisees to say, hey, what are you doing with that blasphemer? Why are you with that, that, uh, that heretic? Nicodemus comes and Jesus says to him the greatest words and the most popular verses ever preached in the history of Christianity. Nicodemus, God loves you. And it's not just you. He loves the whole world equally. And he loves everybody so much that he gave, he gave his only son as if he wasn't understanding that that was him. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him... Nicodemus, it's not about what you do. It's about who you know. You know, it's amazing. You get a job today, not because of what your resume is or because your skill set, because you got somebody on the inside. You could doctor up your resume and do all that kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter is, if the boss's son is on the board and he's friend with you because you went to college with him, you're probably going to get the nod because of who you know. You know, that's kind of like salvation. Salvation and going to heaven is not about what you do. It's not about your talent. God didn't look down and go, now that lady has got it going on. I need her in heaven because I'm missing that one. God didn't do that. No, in fact, the Bible says something quite differently for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. 
There's none that doeth good. There's no not one. There's none that seeketh after God. And they have together become unprofitable. God looked down and said, listen, I, I, I love these people and they can't do it on their own. They can't make up the difference of their sin. They're never going to be holy. They're never going to be my Jesus. So I'm going to send Jesus. All because of love. If you want to find out what Easter is all about, you've got to look at the love of God. And what his love will do for anyone who will simply put all their trust in Jesus Christ. See, well, it can't be that simple. Well, I hope that you wouldn't argue with God because he's the one that's offering it. You see, it's too simple for me to do. You say, well, is it really that easy? Well, as we talked about Friday night, have you ever actually studied the cross of Calvary? Because what Jesus went through was nothing easy, friend. There was nothing easy about being scourged and beaten to the point of unrecognition. There's nothing, there's nothing easy about hanging on a cross and suspended between heaven and hell as if he were rejected by both. But Jesus did that. I want us to consider the truth of the greatest story ever told this morning, the story of God's love toward us. And I want to do it in four simple ways. I want you to take your outlines and notice with me, first of all, what the love of God did or does. What does the love of God do? Well, first of all, what did it do? The love of God sent Jesus Christ to save us. It was right there in the text. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look at verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God spoken. What did the love of God do? God gets love for us put Jesus down on earth for one reason, to save us. First John 4 and verse 9. And this was manifested, it was proven, it was seen, and this was manifested, the love of God toward us. Because that God sent, uh, sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Listen to the next verse, here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's very interesting to me. Because in John chapter 3, it doesn't say that Jesus came to, to, be, uh, to pay for our sins. But in First John, it does. You see, that's why God sent the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why God's love put Jesus on this earth to save us from what? Our sin. We said, now, wait a minute, pastor. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm not as bad as that guy. And, and, and so I, I ask you, does that make you the standard? All of a sudden, does that mean because you've never met anybody that's better than you, that you're going to go to heaven and that person's not? So where does that stop? The fact is, it stops right there. God says there's, there's always going to be someone better, but no one is going to be good enough. No one is going to be better enough. So God says, look, 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 I'm settling it all. At the foot of the cross, all have sinned. And the wages of that sin is death. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay that debt for you. That's why God put Jesus on this earth. Sin means death, which basically is separation from God. And that separation, by the way, is forever. But God sent Jesus Christ to save us from sin and separation. Why? Because he loves us. Can I just say it like this? God loves you. You do yourself a favor in your own heart right now to say, God loves me. Very introduction to that song that they sang was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. We, we know that song, but do we really know it? 
What did love do? Well, love sent Jesus to save us. Secondly, love put Jesus on the cross. A lot of people think that Jesus was a good teacher, that he was merely a man, that he was a prophet. And I've had people, Brother Weaver, I'm sure like you have, said, well, I just follow the teachings of Jesus. Well, it's interesting because Jesus on several occasions said to his own disciples, I just need you to know something, and I'll paraphrase, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men, I'm going to be crucified, and then I'm going to rise again from the grave. That was Jesus' teaching. Now, if I follow the, the teaching of Jesus, then I would have to understand that the, word, the name Christ is not a surname. It's not the last name of Jesus. It's not like mine is Kyle Haynes. It's not Jesus Christ. Jesus means salvation is of God, and Christ means I'm the guy. I am the anointed one. I'm the one that's begotten, the unique, the only one of God that's come to pay for the sins of all mankind. And the cross and Jesus' death is a symbol and a manifestation of God's love. The Bible says, but God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. First Peter three and verse 18, for Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust that he might listen, bring us to God, but put to death in the flesh, uh, being put death, but being put to death in the flesh, but quickened or made alive in the spirit. Now get it. Jesus died in your place. Whenever you see a cross from this day forward, I beg God that you would look at the cross wherever it is and say, Jesus died for me. Jesus died for my sin. The Bible, uh, the Bible theological term is substitutionary. We learned that on Friday night. It's vicarious. What does that mean? That means that it should have been me that died. It should have been me, me that paid for my lies. It should have been me that paid for my fornication, for my adultery, for my thievery, for my lies. It should have been God, it should have been me that paid for my anger and my bitterness. Do you get it? Yet the Bible says that he, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, was made to be sin for us. Well, that's love. Whenever you look at the cross of Calvary, I hope that you'll think that God loves me and he loves me so much that he died in my place. Jesus died in our place, taking the punishment for our sin. He hung in shame. He was despised and rejected of men so that you and I never had to be rejected before God. The Bible says in Matthew 7, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name at the judgment bar of Christ? The Bible says, Jesus said himself, that people will stand before him and say, wait, 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 Jesus, before you move, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not done many mighty works and in thy name cast out devils? And then will I profess, Jesus said unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Now, some would look at that and say, well, that's just not fair. I mean, I took the name of Jesus with me. I even had it imprinted on a shirt. I wore it on a hat. I had a bumper sticker that said, Jesus is my co-pilot. I did all that stuff. I even went to church. I gave money. I helped old ladies across the street. I did everything I possibly could. And now you're saying, preacher, that Jesus is going to say, depart from me? Yes. Why? Because it's not about works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy has he saved us by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost of God. It's not about us. See, everybody wants to make it all about them. And God says, no, it's not about you. It's about my son. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son as an offering that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn it. Christianity is not a religion of condemnation. Bible Christianity is a religion of salvation. That's what it's about. It's about the blood of Jesus Christ being shed for us on our behalf. Why? Because God said, I love you. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've done. I don't care how you grew up. I don't care your past. I don't care the circumstances that you're living in. Here's what I care for. Your soul. And I want to save you from yourself. Because I love you. God loved the world so much that he's not willing that any would die the second death. The Bible says in Revelation 21, 9, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters, all of that's bad enough. But listen, it says, and all liars. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It's interesting, the very beginning of that verse, verse starts with the fearful and the unbelieving and ends with liars. You know, there are some people, even in the Bible, that came to the Apostle Paul. They're fearful of getting saved. You may have, it may have been someone like you. I don't know how long it was when someone was talking to you about being saved. But if you're a Christian, maybe you remember thinking, man, I, if I make that decision, my life's going to change. And I kind of like my life the way it is. Some of you may remember that very feeling. As an adult, and I've talked to many adults and had the privilege of leading a few to Christ and thinking, man, man, I I know that, man, I can't believe God would save me, but I just know in my heart that if I get saved, and and, and they won't, why? Because they're fearful. Even though they would stand on the precipice of all of eternity and see the Lord Jesus and recognize his love, would say, no, that's fearful. Then there's the unbelieving, those that would just say, well, I just don't believe it's that easy. Sorry, preacher, I'm a, and you fill in the blank. This is my religion. This is what I've done. This is what my mama said. I had someone the other day reject the gospel because, uh, reject an invitation to church because they said they didn't want somebody in their family to have a problem with them. So what kind of reasons for saying I don't believe? I've, if I've talked to atheists, I've talked to agnostics. I just don't believe what you're saying is true. You know, the odd thing about that is, when it's true, it doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. It doesn't change the truth. God says the fearful and the unbelieving and all liars, if I don't know you, are going to have their part in the second death. So God charged Jesus guilty for our sin and to provide a way to escape that second death. Now, isn't it interesting that God probably knows more about life and death than all of us put together. He knows more about eternity than we do. And he lays it out very plainly and simply to this very religious man. And he says, listen, I just want you to know, Nicodemus, unless you're going to be born again, you have to be born of water and spirit. You got to get saved by the spirit of God. You got to be born into my family. Unless you're willing to do that, my friend, you're not going to have eternal life. Because the Bible says in verse 18, if you'll notice in your text, he that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. Wait a minute. That means that we were born condemned. Do you understand that? I'm not a sinner because I lie. I'm not a sinner because I steal money. I'm not a sinner because I cuss the guy that cut me off on the 101. I'm not a sinner because I do anything. I'm a sinner by birth. So well, are you sure? Let me ask you a question. 
if you think, well, I'm, I'm not that bad. Did your mama ever sit you down and say, okay, now come over here. I'm going to teach you how to lie to your brother. You say, well, no. Well, did your daddy come in and say, now come here, come here, come here. Everybody get around. I'm going to teach you how to sass your mama when you go into the kitchen. I'm going to teach you how to drive her nuts. You say, well, no. Did anybody teach you how to cheat on a test? Did your parents say, okay, now you don't have to study. You can just sit here and just kind of glance. I was at a school the other day. It was kindergartners. And I saw these dividers uh, in kindergarten class. Dividers. Kindergarten. How old are kindergartners? Five. Dividers on their desks. And I was like, oh, uh, Melissa, I was like, what, what are they doing? Why, why do they have dividers? I thought it was COVID or something. He was like, oh, no, they're testing. They don't want each other to cheat. And I was like, five years old? No five-year-old's a sinner. No way. How do you know they're sinners? Because right now, my kid's biting your kid in the nursery. That's how I know. And I didn't teach him to do that. Isn't it interesting? God says, look, I'm saving you from a condition, listen, that you might not even be aware of until the truth comes. The truth is, we're all sinners. God loves us all equally. So God's love not only sent Jesus to save us, but it had to put Jesus on the cross. And I hope you understand that there's no other way without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Which means thirdly, that God loved us so much that he raised Jesus from the dead. So now come on, preacher, is it really all that connected? Well, since you brought it up, yes. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, so much more being reconciled. Listen, we shall be saved by his life. That's post cross. In order to be saved from death and hell, they both must be defeated, conquered. And that is why the, the, uh, that's why Jesus had to rise again. The resurrection is what gives a person forgiveness of sin. Resurrection is what gives us the power in this life and the power to overcome death and live forever in heaven. In fact, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3, the Bible says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, in case there may be a floating mind around here today that said, well, did Jesus really die? And did he really raise from the ground? I mean, really, this is just one man's account, and we don't even know who wrote the Bible. Well, since you may be thinking that way, the Bible says this. Now, uh, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead how say some among you that there's no resurrection from the dead so you're not the first one to think that there's no resurrection you're not the first one to think that this is a fable you're not the first one to think that man these christians are wacko they sang for 30 minutes now they're going to preach for 30 minutes i got a ham in the oven i got to get out of here there's no resurrection period i don't need this story yes you do the reason that you do is because this isn't made up there were 500 witnesses to the lord jesus resurrected body but nobody wants to talk about that Nobody wants to talk about the fact that this isn't one man's account or a fairy tale. Nobody wants to talk about the witnesses. If you've ever seen, if you haven't seen, I would encourage you to watch the movie, The Case for Christ. And you're going to watch a man who doubted the resurrection and yet went to science and said, I need to know if Jesus actually rose from the grave. I need to know. And just find out what Lee Strobel found out. And here's what you'll find. If Christ be not risen from the grave, then we are still in our sins. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men most miserable. That means that when the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that God said, yes, he has to pay the sacrifice, but he also has to come back to life to bring me the atonement. 
so that I can grant forgiveness. You see, the word propitiation in 1 John has to do with God's favor. And I don't get God's favor by stealing the grace of God because I've done a bunch of stuff and I've prayed this and I've done the rosary and I've done all the sacrament and I've gone to this church and I have my name on this roll or I have this degree from this college and they said that they were Christians. God says, no, 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 none of that matters. What matters is the death of my son, the resurrection of my son. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So if Christ be not raised and your faith is in vain, then we have no hope. But the Bible tells us, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive in Christ. Let me ask you a question this morning. Will you be saved? Will you be saved at all? Would you take the truth from the word of God and just say, you know what, Lord, you're right. I thought I was religious, and if this man is telling the truth, and Nicodemus was a religious man, then I confess to you that because of my sin, I'm going to be separated from you. But if if the Bible is true, by the way, who wouldn't want to worship a God that can only tell the truth? If the Bible's true and I need to be saved, I want to be saved. Would that would you be saved today? Would would you would you take the Lord Jesus Christ personally and receive the gift of eternal life today? Do you need to be saved? Because, who, because anyone who will call on the name of the Christ, uh, call on the name of Christ, the Bible says, shall be saved. And by the way, that's forever. That life is changed forever. And I'll tell you why it's changed. Lastly, on your outline, that is because the love of God can never be taken away. Hear me this morning. God doesn't love me any more or less than he loves anybody else in this room. I don't care what your age is. It doesn't matter if you're 6, 12, 18, or 80. He doesn't love me any more or any less. And by the way, let me say this. I can't do anything to get him to love me anymore. And I can't do anything to get him to love me any less. By the way, you can't either. Which means the love of God can never be taken away. Listen, someone said, I will die and go to hell without Christ, but I will not die and go to hell without the love of Christ. Because God loves me. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so if I'm going to die, I will either die in Christ or out of Christ, but I will never die outside of being loved of God. God says, I love you. I want to save you, but you've got to get over yourself. You've got to come to the end. You've got to confess with your mouth and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. You've got to believe in the righteousness of God in here. And if you will, then I'll change your life forever. And that love will never, ever go away. Now, here's the great part. Why do Christians make such a big deal about Resurrection Sunday? Why do we make such a big deal about Easter? Because this is the day we celebrate the love of God through Jesus Christ. And that love doesn't matter what the circumstances come. It doesn't matter what tomorrow holds. And we don't know what tomorrow holds. Some of us may not even be here tomorrow. But no matter what happens, we know this. God still loves me. And God will always love me. And because of that love, the Bible says, He that spared not his only son, but offered him freely up to us all. How shall he not? Listen, with him, freely give us all things. By the way, that's not a promise for a Porsche or a Cadillac. That means that if God so loved me that he gave me Jesus Christ, that I could be saved, 
that God knows because I would be born again as his child, that whatever I need, he promises to give me. And he only gives that which is best. Best, if ye being fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how shall, how, how shall, not, uh, how shall not the father give to them that ask? Give anything to them that ask. The fact of the matter is I can't outrun the love of God. God's love will never fail. Why? Because God doesn't fail at anything. Whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. There are people sitting in this room this morning that took that promise to God and say, Lord, I, I confess to you today I'm sinner and lost and I need to be saved. Will you save me? I'm calling on you right now. Please save me. Done. So, well, isn't there like a purgatory issue or isn't there like a cooling off period don't you have to sit and think about it well no not actually because jesus said except you have the faith of a child you should not see the kingdom of heaven how grown up is your faith well i just think of it a little differently okay well could i ask you to change your thinking this morning well I, maybe i just need to ask some more questions and understanding okay that that's that's viable but would you at least ask them so that we could get to the root you see that's just part of being fearful Well, I don't know. I've never heard this before. That's fine and that's fair. But it doesn't change the need. There's only two people that know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. You and God. And if you don't know, God says, well, I would sure like you to know. Easter in all of its glory is simple. It's the celebration of the love of God for mankind. A love so powerful, it put Jesus Christ on a bloody cross but then witness his resurrection. God wouldn't allow our sin to separate us from him, so he provided forgiveness and a way, to, a way to heaven. The Bible says, Jesus said before his death, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Listen, he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe, for Christ also hath once suffered for for sins. He suffered for you, he wrote it down, he gave you the story of the resurrection, and now he offers it to you. The Bible calls it the unspeakable gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's Easter. Listen, the world is going to fail, and it's going to come to a screaming end. The world's going to fail you probably tomorrow. People are going to fail you. Some of you are thinking, yep, they've already failed me. Some of you have family that's failed you. And they'll probably fail you again. Bosses are famous for failing us. You probably work for somebody that's failed you. The workplace will fail you. Cultural movements will fail. Politicians will fail. But I will tell you one thing that doesn't ever fail. That's the love of Almighty God. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made, for every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above, would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, even if it was stretched from sky to sky. Oh, the love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless 
and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and the angels' song. If you leave here today, and there's one thing that I want you to remember, I want you to know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Would you be saved this morning? Would you let an old preacher ask it again and again? Would you be saved? Would you let God forgive your sin? Would you let God take your soul to heaven? Would you let him provide you a life that is fruitful and abundant with joy and love and peace? Would you let the Holy Spirit of God, as a believer, shed the love of God on your heart today? Would you use Easter, and I love this, would you use Easter as a reset button? Say, God, you did all that for me. How could I do anything else but live for you? Let's bow our head and close our eyes this morning for prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your love. I'm so thankful, Lord, today that the gospel is that simple. There's nothing more or less today, Lord, that anybody in here needs to know about being saved. And so I, I ask that you would take the power of the gospel and, Lord, that today you would save a life for every believer here today. I pray they would realize what they're celebrating. They're celebrating the fact that an infinite, almighty, holy God cares. He loves. And he's willing to show it, and he did. And, God, every day I believe if we'll just look around, we'll see that love, and it'll humble us. It'll cause us to repent. It'll cause us, Lord, to live a life in return of love. Lord, you told us, if you really do love me, then you'll follow me. You'll even take up your cross and deny yourself. And God, today there may be a believer, a believer wayward who needed to hear that, a believer that needed to be reminded that I'm a child of the king and I need to come back to the fold. I need to get my heart right today. Lord, I know, I know that you're ready for that. The Bible says that you are ready to forgive. So I pray today that you hear from our hearts. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask the piano to begin to play. And I want to talk to you just for a moment. Nobody looking around, please. It's Easter Sunday. Greatest day on the calendar. This is the day that changed time. This is the day that, that makes all other days worth it. I want to ask you a question. Do you know for sure if you died right now that you'd be in heaven? Are you 100% sure? Have you ever called on Christ to save you? Are your, is your sins forgiven? I suppose I could ask it a half a dozen ways, but friend, if you're 99% sure, then you're probably 100% lost. Because the Bible word is sure. I can be sure that I'm on my way to heaven. That's what God wants for you and for me. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I know Jesus Christ personally. I've confessed him. I've asked him to save me. I know without a shadow of a doubt, that if I died right now, I am on my way to heaven. And I celebrate the love of God today as a Christian. If that's your testimony, would you just lift up your hand this morning? Would you just do that? I know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven. I know that. I prayed and trusted Christ. I know it. Thank you for putting your hands up. Believer today, would you press that reset button? Maybe take a cross section of your life the last seven days and think to yourself, man, God, if you did all that for me, what have I been willing to do for you? 
Are you living for the purpose of Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to share your testimony of love to somebody else? The Bible says here, and it's my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. I hope so. I hope Easter would be a reminder. Man, I want my life to count. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't know for sure if you died that you'd be in heaven, but you'd like to know. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard the gospel that plainly and clearly. And you've been confronted with the fact that something inside of you is not registering peacefully. I've been there. I was raised in a church all my life, thought I was saved, and I got confronted with my sin and the reality that I'm not. I'm actually lost, but I need to be saved. I wonder if today you'd be willing, with nobody looking around, there's no shame at the cross, say, Pastor Haynes, I just really don't have that assurance in my heart that I'm saved, but I sure would like to know, would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just be willing to slip up your hand this morning, Pastor Haynes? I just don't know for sure. I see that hand. Anybody else? Pastor, I just don't know for sure, but I really would like to settle it today. I'd like to be saved. I'd like for Easter morning to be my spiritual birthday. Pray for me. Pastor, I don't know for sure if I died, I'd be in heaven, but I'd like to know. Anybody here like that? Would you just slip up your hand real quick? Anybody? Real quick. Anybody at all? All right. In a moment, we're going to stand. I'm going to pray. And I wonder if today... I wonder if today, you'd just mark it. You'd measure your love for God by his love for you and decide to turn it up. Decide to say, Lord, if you did all that for me, I celebrate openly, not just the resurrection, but your love for me. And let's live that love. Would you stand together with me with your heads bowed and eyes closed? Heavenly Father, I'm certainly grateful, Lord, for the blessing of hope. And I'm certainly grateful for your love. I'm certainly grateful, uh, God, for the the willingness, uh, Lord, today just to be honest with you. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you'd watch over us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would, uh, Lord, grant us the opportunity today to even share our love for you. God, I thank you for these that are here. I thank you especially for the visitors. I pray that you'd minister to them and I pray that you'd bless them. I pray that you'd encourage them, ask that you'd watch over and dismiss us by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a couple of things before we go here today. First of all, if you are visiting, would you please do us just the one favor and fill out that connection card right in front of you? And, uh, 